Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Transformers. Okay. In the year 2007, I became a man. Man! <laughs> now you're a man, a man, man, man. Do you know that song? No, it sounds like one you've made up. Oh, I didn't. Um, it's actually it's the South Park guys. It's um, and they're they're very classy film entitled Orgasmo. All right then. Anyway, you can. I didn't even uh, know that was those guys. Yeah, yeah, you can find that on YouTube. So you know, get that. You'll get you. You will get in the mood for this film definitely with that one, which uh, <laughs> is really from two thousand seven. Transformers. Yeah, I had to leave you with that reveal, right? Because you're you're the transforming dude. Um, well, and, and what? Let's let's get, flip it. Let's flip. I'm flipping the table, man. Uh, who are you? I'm Luke. Who are you? I'm Matt, and welcome to the sci-fi. We're welcome, welcome to the sci-fi sanctuary. Yeah, so, yeah. Skype just doesn't. Time yeah. on that. Okay. It doesn't it doesn't vibe with us constantly trying to throw sentences over to each other. <laughs> so you say I'm the Transformers guy, but today we're joined by even more of a Transformers guy. He's the writer of Transformation. He's the ho well, one of the hosts of Podcast Maximus. It's Stuart Webb. Hello, uh, I was just trying to work out who that incredibly deep voice man who gave the introduction was. Uh, I don't know how you paid to come in and do that. Uh, but yes, I'm here as well. It's one of the big burly men that I paid to beat me up at the weekends. Uh, yeah, well, I've heard about you and your big burly men as well. Yes, it's... Uh... Is, that, is that where the friend of Bears comes in? <laughs> the Bears come and beat you up? I've said on multiple occasions that if I was killed by a bear, that I would be happy to go that way. <laughs> but in this case, hey. I do mean, like, bears. Oh, okay. Okay, that's cool. Because Nagano will, you know, definitely, uh, here in Nagano, Japan, I think we have a few bears rolling around. But uh, Hokkaido has the ones with some scary claws. That's the northern island in Japan. Um, anyway, moving on. We're not talking about bears today. We're talking about very large robots. Um, mine, I, I'm probably the shallow end here, but I'm, I'm, I'm on the real end. Uh, you know, I, I played with lots of Transformers when I was a kid in the eighties, right. And, uh, built the arc out of wooden blocks and, 
kind of ran from there. Um, we've had a guest on the show a few times, Andrew. So we, you know, we combine our Transformers and GI Joes and and do it all in the mid '80s, the late '80s, and and then I forgot about it for a while. So uh, this Transformers movie was interesting in that it was the first time where my childhood was clearly being um, sold back to me. So of course I was very excited to go see it. Um, I did see it in Japan, actually. Yeah, 2007. It's one of the first date movies I took my now wife to. Transformers is a date movie, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's beautiful. It's bringing people together in harmonious love. I don't know um, if you liked it. <laughs> well, imagine if you took it to see the G.I. Joe film instead. You'd probably got to about your eighth wife by now. <laughs> yeah, just like Henry VIII. And the eight. Does he have eight wives? I thought it was five. No, yeah, it's like five. Yeah, sorry, it's because he's the eighth. Anyway, <laughs> he probably went to see G.I. Joe instead, or at least the uh, 16th century equivalent. Uh, Luke, you're a little more deep. I'm just coming with weird childhood vapors that, you know, reconnect with um, my adulthood. But I know I know you and, and Stuart both have probably more notable uh, stories to tell here. Luke, you want to get rolling on that? Well, yeah, as a kid... I think I first got Transformers, I inherited a bunch of Transformers and some VHS tapes of the show secondhand. And then, obviously, a few years later, we had Beast Wars, which was, like, my generation's Transformers. And I got super into that. And then, for a few years there, I wasn't, like, crazy into it. I guess I was more into the, the Pokemon and the Digimon. Um, and then it was around the time that the rumours that a film was coming started to surface. And this was after, in the UK, we had those Citroen adverts where the car turns into a robot and does a little jig. And everyone was like, oh, they're going to make a Transformers movie with those effects. And I sort of, I picked up my old Transformers. I picked up some new ones. Uh, me and my brother watched the anime. And then I sort of got into the comic books, got back into it. And then, yeah, this movie came out and it was like, I would say it's probably the biggest movie of my life. It was a huge event film at the time. And it was just like, oh, I've been waiting all this time for this movie exactly. And um, I actually remember uh, there was a girl I was into and I was trying to get her to go on a date with me to see this film. And she, like, had almost agreed to it so much that I booked the tickets and then, oh, no, actually, she couldn't go. And then I ended up going with my buddy instead. But, um, yeah, I think I saw this uh, one. And you married your buddy? Yeah. Well, yeah, and then it, the marriage didn't work out and that's why I fled to Japan. Mm. No, I, I did actually end up seeing the second Transformers film with that girl. So there you go. That's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful story of uh, romance. But then, even even after that, my Transformers like obsession just got deeper and deeper with more movies, an insane number of figures, more comic books, and even going to Transformers conventions, which is where I befriended the gentleman we're hearing today, Stu. So I think you're even deeper into Transformers than me again, right? <laughs> it's like uh, Russian dolls, and yep. I am. Yep, I'm the man inside. Russian I'm the man doll. inside Matt, and you're the man inside me. It's a sad. What's about to come out of me in a second will surprise you all. But I said before, and I wasn't going to be as classy as the uh, Mission Log guys. Uh, but uh, my personal Transformers fandom is uh, goes to when i was uh, five or six in my first year of school where i wasn't particularly enjoying that first year 
Uh, I was having a lot of trouble fitting in. So as a reward for good behaviour, one week my mom got me the British Transformers comic, which was a revelatory moment for me in my personal development. This big sort of explosive sci-fi action uh, comic, and that became my weekly treat from there. And I actually pretty quickly, after not being that interested in it, threw myself into learning how to read. Uh, so my mom wouldn't have to read the comic to me, because she would give these commentaries of longer lines of, this is shit. This is awful. That didn't help that the first issue I had was one where heavily featured RC, uh, who was treated, up until fairly recently, quite badly by most Transformers media as the only girl. So she would deconstruct all the sexism as well. Which as a kid, I'm like, well, you're clearly wrong. And then, of course, I would go, yeah, yeah, that was actually quite right. Uh, annoyingly. Luckily, she won't listen to this podcast, so she won't know that. But that became entry level. I was hearing my comic from uh, late 1988 through to its end in uh, early 1991. And uh, kept all those is- most of those issues in their little boxes because my mom kept her magazines uh, like Starburst in little boxes, so I did as well. Uh, but being a little kid, they weren't in great condition. They did eventually get chucked out because uh, they were all over the place. Uh, we had our pirate VHS of Transformers a movie that my granddad made for us by copying rental tape. But on that tape, as I was uh, talking about the other day on Twitter, before that, he had taped Nightmare on Elm Street 3 on that tape, which is a longer film. So if you watch the Transformers movie, you get like the last 20 minutes of Nightmare on Elm Street 3 you can watch as an eight-year-old. As <laughs> well, I think there was, there was some nudity in that last 20 minutes as well, which was interesting when you ate. And then we had all the toys, and it never quite went to because I did try to keep some of the comics. Uh, we did watch Beast Wars when it came on uh, GMTV. I was on general awareness but it was still sort of there. Uh, I remember the Generation 2 comic, the British version, was on sale in... Uh, the only news agents that sold it was one that had prestigious amounts of pornography, like full-on hardcore pornography on the shelves. It was that. And Transformers Generation 2 comic. Those were the only two things that they sold. And I wasn't allowed to buy it. Uh, the comic, that is. Uh, there was not really an opinion either way on the pornography. Because uh, I was considered too old for it. It was too expensive uh, for what it was. But uh, by the end of the decade, I had my own money. So when the, uh, the comics came back uh, with, uh, with Dreamwave, I was able to buy them myself. Uh, and I've basically been there with the comics ever since. Uh, watching a bit of the cartoons. And then in 2005... I was talking about this the other day, but sort of a, how long Michael Bay was directing Transformers films for, but his first one was announced when Revenge of the Sith came out, and he did his last one when The Last Jedi came out. So he, he, he had a good long stint on these films. Uh, I was uh, a little incredulous. I've not really seen any Michael Bay films apart from Armageddon. Uh, it's easy to forget now because he's so associated with this franchise and doing all these terrible things to it in the eyes of serious film critics. Uh, but he was a proper A-list director. Uh, what I always point out is that was the same year the first Transformers film came out in Hot Fuzz. There's a joke about Bad Boys 2 that depends upon Bad Boys 2 being a film 
that people who like action films have seen and liked. And that's Bad Boys 2. That's not even the best Bad Boys film that Michael Bay directed. Uh, so there is a, he's a guy with a fan base. Uh, he probably needed a, a hit at that point, because of course he'd done Pearl Harbor before that. And of course, the commentaries, he was very keen to work with Spielberg uh, to produce Transformers films. I don't think we are ever having any impressive ones, to be honest. But he's on there as a credit. Uh, so, but because I don't see Armageddon, I was slightly incredulous until I saw that first trailer. And I was like, ooh, hello. And I, I didn't have a date to go take to see it, unfortunately, which I now regret. Because clearly I now either be married or living in Japan, or married and living in Japan. Those, those are the three options, it seems, and uh, I snapped <laughs> all three of them. Yeah, I'm actually bringing up some 80s comic book covers. and uh, So for me, I, the, the 80s is the Marvel run, but I'm looking at some covers and definitely, oh yes, I remember those. I definitely have my run with the 80s comics as well, uh, in the 80s itself. <laughs> I just say because um, not so much this one, but the second one especially is a surprisingly amount from the, uh, the Marvel comic is in the second one. There's a whole plot line from it that's uh, that's adapted into the second movie, which is uh, an unexpected amount of law respect. Yeah, the way I looked at them, the first one was just like generically the concept of Transformers. The second one was kind of taking a lot of stuff from the comics. The third one took a lot of stuff from the cartoons. And then four and five just are like fever dreams from Michael Bay's brain. <laughs> okay, that, that that's that's the way to like them better, isn't it? Okay, I mean, I don't dislike them uh, at all, to be honest. But uh, yeah, fever dreams, that's the way to do it. Um, hey, Luke, I think we need to get into what this fever dream is. Can you do that for us? Well, let's do it. Before time began, there was the cube. We know not where it came from, only that it has the power to create worlds and fill them with life. In Qatar, which is in the Middle East, by the way, an American army base is attacked by a transforming helicopter. Meanwhile, Sam Witwicky buys his first car. And what do you know? His car is a robot. In disguise. This robot in disguise protects him from the cops. And then introduces him to some other robots in disguise. Who tell him that they are looking for the cube. Not called the Matrix because people still thought of the Matrix movies at this point. But called the AllSpark. Unfortunately, before Sam can find his grandfather's glasses. Which will reveal the location of the AllSpark. He's arrested by some lame men in black and taken to Hoover Dam, 
where they see Megatron and the Cube. Starscream turns up and Megatron is freed. And so the soldiers decide to take the cube to the city. And then when they get to the city, they decide to take the cube out of the city. But unfortunately, the helicopters are shot down because all helicopters in action movies and video games will be shot down. Optimus urges Sam to put the cube in his chest. But Sam puts the cube in Megatron's chest. Finally, Optimus Prime sends a message to the stars, inviting the Autobots to come and live on Earth. While Sam and Michaela have awkward makeout sessions on top of Sam's sentient robot car. This is long before the movie. This would have been uh, 1985 or 1986 when my first grade um, cafeteria decided to serve fish, jello, and milk all together. Not what? not good for a six-year-old. Like as, as a up... meal? Well, I mean, they were separated in the meal, right? But that was the meal. It was like jello with fish with milk, which it's not a good connection. And I actually hurled like all over the middle of the cafeteria floor which i guess should be more traumatic than i think it is and my dad must have felt so, uh, that way so the only time i remember getting a transformer i, I had lots but is um i guess he felt bad so he got me whirl the autobot helicopter not like that mean old helicopter you talked about in the synopsis nice well the good one yeah um my main one that i have a memory of getting was i was a bit older it was Either just before or just after this film came out, and I really wanted the um, the nice masterpiece Optimus Prime for Christmas. So I put it on my Christmas day, so my uncle was going to get it for me. But then we got to Christmas Day, and he's like, oh yeah, look, I wasn't sure if you were joking, so I've just got you the cash. And I was like, no, no, I, I do really want that. And so the next day we went to Toys R Us to pick it up, and the whole time my dad came along, and he's like, Really? Are you serious? Are you really gonna spend all that money on a on a toy robot? Really? Really? You're gonna you're gonna spend fifty quid on a, a toy robot at your age? And the more the more he said that, the more convinced I was that yes, I am gonna buy this toy robot. <laughs> <laughs> Which age was that again? Oh, like eighteen. Okay, so <laughs> you you got a better deal there because the most they keep doing masterpiece Optimus Prime again, and I think the most recent version was like you have to give your arm over to be able to afford it or something like that it costs a stupid amount of money for the uh well yeah for what you're getting really also i think that um my masterpiece optimus prime is probably worth more now than 50 pounds in cash is <laughs> what did you buy last week you optimist last oh yeah, week. yeah i got the the bumblebee optimus it's pretty nice actually I'm trying to resist buying Transformers here in Japan because I've already got, like, a crate full in the UK and I don't need a second collection here. I, I probably have some busted-up ones in a box in my parents' house, but I don't think we ever threw them out, so 
Yeah, that's kind of groovy. Some vintage ones that are beat up and worth nothing now. <laughs> I don't know. You could, you could get uh, there's some you get some money from. World is yeah. much more popular now than it used to be. He's, he's, he's done some uh, stuff with recent comics, so you, you probably get some money for World. Yeah, I don't think anyone thought World was cool when I was a kid. So I had Jazz. He doesn't work out well in this movie, though. Uh, I mean, I'm just a bit. Actually, you know, I was going to jump ahead to describe something at the end there, but that's. Uh, Oh, it's fine. We don't really follow the plot. Okay, I was just saying, it's my, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of Hugo Weaving as Megatron, but uh, I think he's a weak link in the film in terms of robots. But I do love the sheer stupidity of that. You want a piece of me? No, I want two. I, I love that line. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, we... I just wrote, yeah. Weaving, but okay. The first actor is weaving, which I it, I think I got eighty percent through the movie. I was like, okay, I know this this isn't like the right actor doing the voice. Who is it? Oh crap, it's weaving. So the fun thing is, I had already written the note. Um, Megatron can smell his stink, the one in Sam's pants. And I was like, wait a minute, why did I write that? Oh, because it's Hugo Weaving. That's why. He's <laughs> actually an odd bit of cast here because none of the other robots are played by uh, to do inverted air comma quotes name actors that might be because more of a thing in the sequels but he's really the only sort of big star name they've got in to do a voice and uh, he literally phoned it in he was in Australia and he phoned up Michael Bay and said his lines down the phone and uh, it's, it's okay but it's uh, I'm not sure why they bothered paying Hugo Weavey to do that. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I guess, yeah, I, with not having the, the right actors, uh, Starscream certainly doesn't stand out here, because uh, they, they, I guess they got him right once they got to uh, Bumblebee, but here he's, he's, just, he's just there. And that's not, that's not a Decepticon that should just be there. He's in, he's got a bit more of a role in 2 and 3. Yeah, but this one in particular, because I don't know, that, you know, Cobra Commander, all that, he's stuck in my mind. So when I got kind of a uh, milk toast uh, Starscream here, yeah, yeah, the sequels definitely do him better. But yeah, we've, okay, he's phoning it in, because they, they added so much digital artifacting and stuff to his voice. I, I, you can watch the movie and still not quite figure out that you're listening to Hugo Weaving anyway. Hey, uh, it does a casting, what took me by surprise was. Uh... Because before the film came out, so these fan petitions to get Peter Cullen to do Optimus Prime, and there were rumours they were going to get, they were going to get a famous person to do. They were going to get Tom Hanks was the main rumour. But whether that was something they ever looked into, or I, mean, I guess they would have thought Tom Hanks would be nice at some point. But whether they actually approached him, I, I don't know. But of course, Tom Hanks would be a, a great Optimus Prime. And I was here, yeah, oh, just don't get Peter Cullen. He's not played this role in 20 years. He's, there are all sorts of rumours about why he hasn't played the role in 20 years that you'd hear in convention bars about how he doesn't like violent, do to do violent things anymore. That was the main rumour you used to hear, but he looks down on it now. Uh, and then you get, get Tom Hanks in it. That'd be more fun. And of course, then you get that opening scene of the film and suddenly Peter Cullen comes on and goes, before time. <laughs> and you go, oh, Oh, oh yeah, this is this is good. Thank God, Peter Cullen is good as Optimus Prime, and it's it's good in a different way to how he was in the original cartoon. Because twenty years ago, his voice is that bit higher and more friendly. Two thousand and seven, it's like three octaves deeper. Yeah, he's, like, he's aged into the role of Optimus Prime. 
I mean, by the time we get to Bumblebee, it's another four octaves deep over a decade, and it's really down here now. And it's, I don't think he'd be able to do the next one because he's put, <laughs> I mean, even lower at that point. I don't know how much he smokes <laughs> in the average day, but there's a, there's a huge weight to his voice in this film, and it makes, it gives that opening duration weight, and that opening duration is just exposition. It's, it's not too much exposition. It's just enough to say that, uh... Don't worry, Matt can mute that train that's just gone past him. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was my train, anyway. Uh, I'm going back a bit to allow for CB's edit. Uh, <laughs> that's opening narration. It's just exposition. And, but not too much exposition. It's just enough to say, this is not going to be a film just about a kid and his car. There's something bigger here. There's a bigger mystery. Uh, but he, with that voice, oh, it's impressive. And it's dramatic. Oh. And it is a, a brilliant opening. Uh, just a guy saying, here is the MacGuffin. We are going to be chasing... Well, that's no, not even... The, it's Here's the third MacGuffin in the film we're going to be chasing about in the third act. Hang around. It's going to get to some big shit later on. Yeah, you just made me think, because uh, my first one, oh, well, you know, at some point when they replace them, they're just going to get a sound alike. But now it's like, which which um, level of scotch and cigars are we looking for now? I, I guess this is the correct scotch and cigar balance. Uh, I, I do like the, the bumblebee, like, you know, going towards death metal bellow. But yeah, this seems to be the right balance for, for Optimus. Yeah, but, but... He just gets more and more daddy. <laughs> They, 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 you sound like you know, a couple of more recent cartoons. I think, uh, I guess it's Cullen's, Cullen's quite old now, so he's not doing the shows anymore. Uh, uh, to mix results, from what I've heard, people like, they yeah. seem to press by somebody just coming, coming on again. I am Optimus Prime. It's, uh, it's not quite the same. <laughs> well, I think, well, I think the next move is a Beast Wars film and get Gary Chalk back. Now, yeah, that's, you do that. That's what I'd go for. Um, I guess let's get to the people that actually do appear on screen briefly with LaBeouf. Oh, human characters. LaBeouf. Yeah, I like, I like LaBeouf. Glenn Borshower shower beef. first, guys. Come on, give Glenn Borshower shower. He's deserved respects. The icon what? of film television. He's, he's the famous person I'd like to meet, but I'd like to meet him in that... Um, that weird performance art setting where you just go sit in a room with him for five minutes and he intensely stares at you and says nothing, and then you leave. I think that would be the way to meet him. <laughs> they did that a few years ago, yeah. <laughs> Not Glenn Morshower? It was an art installation, and people would pay to go in the museum, and they'd just go sit, and he'd stare at them intensely for a few minutes, saying nothing. That was. I the... think Matt's still on the buff. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Look, I love that they kill him in the first five minutes, and then he's still in all the sequels. But well, the character in the sequels is just called Nathan Borshower, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's interesting. You mentioned at the start that um, you see the cube and you learn, like, oh, this film is going to be bigger than just here's a kid in his first car. But I think what makes this first one resonate with people is that, for the most part, it is just about the kid in his first car. Yeah, but I mean, apparently that was Spielberg's call. That was like the first thing he said when uh, Green Rose got right about what the film should be. And you had uh, all the fans going, oh, it should 
That's not what you should do. That's not what Transformers is. Transformers is all the big fighting and killing. And of course, it turned out to be exactly the right call because there's a, uh, a relatability there. Even though I don't think, uh, in Britain we have our first car association as much as Americans do. We've seen enough yeah. American movies where that's a thing to sort of still get it and get what it means as a rite of passage and relate that to our own, uh, our own experiences. Like I said, this this film for me like was right at the time where I felt like, okay, this is the end of my childhood and I went into adulthood. And so the film's themes, even though like in the UK I didn't get my first car till my 20s because it's not as cheap as it is in America. It still it felt like, yeah, this is like the coming of age and stuff like that. It was you came into Transformers as a kid and left Iron Man as a man or was it the other way around? No, the other way around is, yeah. Because no, this film came out the same year as Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3, that's the one that you mentioned, because we just and in, in my yeah, Like I said, like I said, in my head, those films are like 10 years apart. Yeah. I know, we mentioned Iron Man, it is always worth uh, remembering, but this film is before Iron Man, it's before the, the MCU stuff, and in terms of the effects work, it's absolutely groundbreaking, it pays well, I th- the I wang. Think- We'll get onto oh, this. Yeah. We'll get into this in a minute after the characters. But this film basically defined modern cinema. People don't like to admit it, but this is a hugely influential film. Yeah, um, I, I forgot that Spielberg had produced it. That was a big deal when it came out. I know, but uh, did he? Is he still on with this? Did how, how long did Spielberg stick around as a producer? He's still on producing them. Uh, how much he ever really did? Uh, the, last, the last thing, I, definitely no. It definitely. It definitely feels like he was involved in this one. But uh, I don't, I don't, the last thing I definitely know that he contributed was uh, sacking Megan Fox after the third one. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, which was apparently entirely down to him. But uh, it, Wasn't it because she called Michael Bay him? Yeah, and Michael Bay like didn't mind that, apparently. Uh, I think you all know Michael Bay is apparently a bit of a dick to work for, but he's not bothered if people think he's a bit of a dick. He did just rolls <laughs> off him, but, but Spielberg was offended by that, yeah. As, as well say, do, do, we, do we actually talk about Megan Fox? But, oh, he did a little bit. That seems reasonable, I guess. <laughs> uh, to be honest, she's... People give, people give her this rap as just like, oh, she's just there as eye candy, but she does a good job in the two films she's in. She's, like, she has way more autonomy than these films than Sam does. Yeah, I honestly don't have a problem myself, but I, I know that the um, the the reputation is a little bit um, on the man. I feel like I haven't seen her in quite a while either. So it's uh, it was interesting. A, a few years ago, she was going to do uh, the London Comic Con, but I was uh, going to it to go and meet her. She pulled out of it in the end, but before I when she was going, so many uh, young women who, who would have been young teenagers when this came out, they said to me, oh, tell Megan Fox I love her. Uh, so she definitely did have oh, cool. a big impact. So not just from Transformers, she's sort of done a, uh, a lot of big positive stuff uh, personally in real life since in terms of raising her kids in a, a pro, uh, I don't think the right words, uh, uh, a positive environment, you know, she lets them be who they want to be and dress how they like, and, uh, uh, so she's, she's actually 
tend to be quite well respected by, by plenty of that generation of, of, uh, of women now. They look up to her quite a bit. Uh, and I think she's actually very good in this film. Uh, because it's always, what this film is to me, it's, it's always like Big Trouble in Little China, where in that film, the joke is Kurt Russell is your traditional, the guy who should be the hero, but he's not. He's a comedy <laughs> psychic. And that's what Sam is in this film. He is a comedy psychic to Megan Fox's dramatic hero. He's a prat who falls around, he needs to be rescued by her at least twice over the course of this film. And a couple more times in the second one. Uh, he's a damsel in distress. And people stuck with the Transformers. She's the one who actively chooses to get involved to help him. And does all the more usual hero stuff. Apart from the, oh, what if I killed Megatron rather than Optimus bit at the end? That's sort of his big one moment of proper heroics. <laughs> but otherwise it is. So, um... One thing I noticed watching it last night, which I hadn't really noticed for the first time, basically every main character gets to kill a Decepticon. Oh, right. Um, so Mag- Megan Fox kills Frenzy. Uh, Optimus Prime kills Bone Crusher. Uh, Bumblebee kills Devastator. Uh, Jack Lennox kills Blackout. And then Sam kills Megatron. So much death. Uh but they, I just like they, they nicely pass all them out. Each main character gets to kill one each. Yeah, and it, <laughs> which is tighter plotting than you usually give these films credit for. <laughs> but going back to Megan Fox briefly, um, I think I think I stole this point from you, but I've used it a couple times in the past. People often complain about the third film in the the new female character is just a damsel in distress throughout that film. But had it been Megan Fox and Michaela and this had been her third film after for the previous two, she's the one saving Sam, it wouldn't have felt so egregious. It would have just been an appropriate, like, finally he's sort of the one who's involved and who wants to help and he's saving her, rather than just this character exists to be saved by the man. Yeah, so the third one, I, I really like the third one, but uh, the character of Carly definitely suffers from the fact that that was a script written for Megan Fox, but they maybe changed two lines in that script. So one of them was a line explaining that she's English. <laughs> Otherwise, not a single thing change. Uh, uh, yeah, to be honest, the third one is probably my favourite of these. Yeah, so that's the one where I really started keying in. The first two, it's like, well, they're selling me my childhood. I guess I'll buy a, a movie ticket for it. Where the third one, where it's like, yeah, I'm really into this. Um, uh, yeah, the, the third's kind of just a... I mean, we got the boy in his car thing in here, but otherwise, the third one is kind of like the the first one, just amped up to eleven. It's uh, I kind of forget with the sequels actually, because the founder sort of likes the first one, but it really doesn't like any of the others. Uh, the Transformers fandom, and yeah, that's fair enough. People like different things and want different things from the films. Uh, I think the films did exactly what they set out to do in terms of popular appeal. Uh, but that means because I'm in the fandom, if I haven't watched it for this, when I come back to watch Dark of the Moon, I'll go, oh, you know what? This is actually really good. It's much better than I remember because all the, when I'm not watching it, all I hear about is how bad it is. There's actually much, uh, yeah. a huge amount of, uh, of fun, the third one. And I like the second one as well. I know that's one that 
I prefer Scream that people don't really like at all, but I think uh, I think there's a lot of good stuff in that. It just needs a, a tone um, up. For my money, the second one has the best action scene in the series, possibly in films, for my money. Um, the fight in the forest in the middle there. And it has the best gag in the series. But it's just, as a film, a bit disjointed and weirdly paced and that sort of thing. Yeah, when I saw it in the theater, I definitely didn't like it, and I didn't watch it for like 12 years after, but uh, same thing with Mission Impossible 2, actually, and then I came back to them like much more recently and like loved them, because I could just appreciate how like you know entertainingly stupid both of them were. See, I'm, su- I'm surprised to hear you didn't like it, Matt, when it's all about like weird pyramid conspiracies. Well, you know, uh, when I saw it in the theater, I, I, I wasn't into that, and now I am, so... I mean, I like the Egyptian okay. stuff, but yeah, definitely that might have helped as well. So, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give us a little break here, and then uh, I guess we'll get into the design. Let's get into the design and, and that sort of thing. Um, we already sort of said, but yeah, this is pretty much the template for the the modern blockbuster, the fight in the city, aren't noises that you know was in every movie for five years. Um, this movie borrows some sounds more than I remembered. Um, it like straight up has the Terminator theme a few times. That was weird. Yeah, you know, I uh, I forgot about when I watched it uh, last week. It was just going the do 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 do, and I, I actually sat through all of the end credits to see if there was a, a proper uh, Terminator thing from, and uh, there isn't. So presumably that just is very it's, very close. Yeah, it's never quite the Terminator theme, but it's definitely the same vibe. It's legally I, different. <laughs> I also like that there's a sound that they use several times that is directly between the um, Star Trek the motion picture down V'ger sound and the Inception wow it's like right halfway between those two so I, I just found that entertaining oh yeah of course but yeah um, I remember the the big one that made me realize was the first Avengers film where it's just like oh they're just fighting the Decepticons in this film yeah I thought, yeah, I mean, the whole end act of our film is basically the same as Dark of the Moon from the year before. It's... But th- there was there was a five year period where every blockbuster, the third act was just Dark of the Moon. Yeah, what's the other one? I get confused. Is it Winter Soldier? It has a big airship. Yeah, I guess it's in the the. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that, that has the airship bit. Yeah, and then Man of Steel has a city fight with a big beam in the sky. That one... I'm sure there's plenty of others which have a big city fight with a beam in the sky. I'm thinking of the, the airship thing where I just completely confused Dark of the Moon with Winter Soldier with with, uh, with with the other one that was in our triumvirate there. Avengers. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've, they've all got a big space whale and it smashes into some buildings. I mean, it's, it's all the same people working on these films. Uh, so, certainly the Avengers, anyway. It's, it's all ILM. Uh, they're 
they worked on these films very closely together. It's, it's pretty much inevitably, but they would just go, oh, fucking, I've got to do another City fight. So I'll just do that thing that worked last year again. Yeah, I guess that's... Um, this is a case where... The, in that case, the ILMCJ, it, it, it doesn't necessarily inspire me, but if those guys had been, like, compelled to build models, and this film would never have happened if they had to build models, but... Uh, I could see a lot more variance there. You got a few years or here, just like, okay, pull up the file. Let's use it again. You know, tweak it a bit. Well, I will say people often complain about the sort of the very indistinct and generic Transformers designs in these films, but the five main Autobots in this film look great. Like they're very distinct. They like are reminiscent, if not of the cartoon characters, and at least they have a very distinct character. They're like brightly colored. And maybe in the sequels, when they start throwing in more and more or bots, a few of them are more generic. And of course, a lot of the Decepticons are very indistinct grey blobs. But I think like Optimus, Ratchet, Bumblebee, Ironhide, you look at those guys, you know exactly who you're looking at in these films. And they might look a little janky here, but I think one of the selling points when this came out was, oh, we designed these models where like all these parts would actually transform properly. So I think that has uh, something to do with it too. By the time we get to Bumblebee, they're just trying think- to make them look like the cartoon, which honestly is cool with me, but I appreciate the let's try and make these things practical as well. Well, it's much easier for me to look at a real car and see, see it in my head transforming like they do in this film. Than to look at a real car and see it like chunk 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 into six toy six parts like the toys do. Is it too fair? I think Bumblebee had a much lower budget. That was like what they were to knock out cheaply uh, because they... Wait, that's why there's like four minutes of Transformers in the whole film. Oh, you don't want to be too negative about Bumblebee. People will come for you. I've, I've discovered that. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, we, we are. We're definitely getting you on if we do a Bumblebee episode. Oh, but I like to say nice things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure for for two and three, Matt's going to find me some Egypt guy and some Moon guy to come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but never. Uh, no, but the designs, as you say, I, I love the Autobots. Uh, they they all look great, and I like what they do with the Decepticons in this one as well, because the Decepticons are not supposed to be distinct. Well, that distinct as characters. They are big, scary monsters. They're meant to scare the shit out of you. But I think that's... It works out. I love the Starscream design. I like how wide he is. And he's got that terrifying mouth. And I think... Just about... Uh, Blackout uh, looks great. Barricade. Evil American cop. Here's something we never get told. Uh, one thing I remember... For those of us who are, like, big Transformers fans already, of course, the ones we remember are the ones whose names we recognize, like um, Megatron, Starscream, etc. But I remember when Dark of the Moon came out, I was reading one of the reviews in one of the magazines, and they mentioned, like, oh, yeah, Shockwave is the most menacing Transformer since Blackout. Because for people who just know these films, that one made a huge impression. That first scene where it destroys the army base... And it comes back at the end and everyone's like, oh shit, here's this guy. Like, Blackout was a big deal for normies. What's the uh, really tiny one? Because uh, I just kept listing him in my notes as Little Asshole. Oh, Frenzy. Oh, okay, Frenzy. There. See, you say that, I'm like, oh yes, okay, I got it. He, he, he was a bird, though, back in the day. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, Laserbeak was the bird, but Frenzy was one of the cassettes. Okay, it was another one of the cassettes. Okay. See, uh, yeah. Well, because 
multiple characters in this film were originally supposed to be Soundwave and they kept chickening out. So I think in, in one version, the helicopter was Soundwave and that's why he has a little one that comes out of him. And then the police car was Soundwave and that's why he has Frenzy. But they ended up not calling either of them Soundwave in the okay. finished film. I've only seen Bumblebee once, but I was definitely, that I definitely was like, ah, Soundwave! Like, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to geek out about Transformers as hard as maybe you guys might, but in that case, I was just like, that's Soundwave, how he's supposed to look and all that sort of stuff. So, it made me happy. Uh, I, I did see um, the second one. When I did see it in the theater, though, um, I, I can't recognize, I guess I, I guess I recognized all the Autobots when I first saw this, but the second one I had like a, seven-year-old like three seats down just shouting out the name of everyone that came on screen so that was actually kind of helpful <laughs> as long as you get a bit right of course I, I, well yeah he might have got some of you wrong. i just i i just i he seemed legit i trusted him i, I love it if he was just doing that thing that like everyone's mum did which is for every transformer he's going optimus prime <laughs> and the next one shows up optimus prime no, he, he, had, he had a good litany of names. He sounded legit. <laughs> Name uh, all the primes in Sam's vision. Of, uh, there's like eight of them. Yep, that's, that's the prime played <laughs> by Michael York. That's the prime played by Byron from Babylon 5. <laughs> uh, with Frenzy, uh, what I like about this film as well is that there's a variety of different types of action scenes. So, like, you get a big chopper attack, then you get a comedy sequence with Frenzy that's basically played for laughs. Uh, I just love a bit where he hides behind his own hand when he's going past the police. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> such great animation. Yeah, and, uh, with... The American president being played is an idiot who has to be got rid of and put in his bunker away from harm. So he's <laughs> it up. It's so funny to look back on when we thought George W. Bush was as bad as it got. And it's interesting because people talk about the pro-military stuff of these films, but I think they tend to be a little bit more cynical. And I think Michael Bay perhaps plays the a bit more. So obviously in this one, the president is an idiot. When you see military in um, American films, especially when there's like real equipment, that means the military is funding part of this and you know they're they're in and asking for certain things there are definitely scenes where this film was so horny for the military right the first time they well both times they call in an airstrike and it's like showing all these guys in the comms room and there's this heroic music playing and it's like yeah god bless america we have this huge like huge operation for bombing brown people from the skies right yeah like the uh the majority of the Decepticons all turn into American military vehicles. And, uh, but Michael Bay, I convinced the military to let them do that. But I convinced them it was cool to be Decepticons. <laughs> Which... Well, Schwarzenegger knew it was cool to be the baddie. Yeah, it's cool. these guys are cool. You'll like me, these guys. <laughs> yeah, these films are never quite as pro-military as people think. Like, in this one, it's very pro-ground-level soldiers, but at, at the top brass are all made out to be idiots. Uh, but by the fourth one... It, fourth one about the, the fourth one CIA, is very pro-the Chinese army. The fourth one's about American CIA death squads. <laughs> by the fourth and fifth one, the army are straight up the bad guys. I think they need to be in a Transformers movie. Because... 
Yeah, when, when there's that time where they got like the Autobots are like the secret defense of the military. That's nah, 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 nah. You got your heroes need to be on the run to to make things really effective. It's also people talk about military stuff, but Transformers is a military franchise. It's about two armies, so there's always going to be a degree of pro-military stuff in there because Optimus Prime is a military dictator. Yeah, I guess if anything bugged me in this one, it was uh, maybe in the idea of that military base. Um, maybe that's what... I, I liked this movie when I saw it, but something didn't sit well. And uh, it, I guess it's cool that the Autobots are in a pretty despondent position in this movie, but I just feel like you need an arc. I do like, though, um, they made a conscious decision in this film, which they kind of go back on in the sequels, so that, like... Well, these guys are transforming robots, so they don't need a spaceship. They are the spaceship. They don't need to hold guns. They can transform the guns. And that was like a whole thing in this one, and it it makes for a very like cool and unique design. But I can't remember by the second, but by the third one, yeah, they are flying around in spaceships. Optimus is holding weapons, and they, they, they basically thrown out that design principle. But in the first one, yeah, it's a smart little bit of design. Speaking of which, um, that's also just Megatron. Um, I wanted him to actually transform into a giant flying magnum. See, I actually think it's really smart that Megatron doesn't take on any Earth form. He stays alien, because, like, Megatron doesn't want to turn into some crappy human thing. That's not a crappy human thing. Like a like a 50-foot-long giant magnum fl that flies, man. I... Uh, actually, it's, uh, it's a Wolfer PPK. Ah, no, no. Say you were trying to... Well, actually, Luke, it's a Wolfer P-38. <laughs> it's uh, the man from Uncle Gun, not the James Bond gun. Uh, oh, well, there we go. We know who the gun pervert on this podcast <laughs> is. I'm watching the man from Uncle at the moment. Uh, uh, <laughs> for people listening who don't know, uh, the original Megatron toy is based... Uh, before it was a Transformer, it was basically a man from Uncle toy. Uh, an unofficial one. Uh, but it turns into a man from Uncle Gun, including, uh, like the fusion cannon of that, all of those are accessories that were made for the man from Uncle Gun in that TV show, none of which are real accessories. You can't shoot the gun with them. They were just built for it for the show to make the gun look cooler. Uh, so all that stuff Megatron has, it's an unofficial knockoff man from Uncle toy, original Megatron. So never so feel bad buy knockoff Transformers toys because that's how they started. Well, there's there, there's my loophole. Megatron hates humans. He hates human things, but he loves the man from Uncle. Hey, that's <laughs> just pissed off by the film, and that's why he's on this. He's outpouring of rage. <laughs> they had to chill him down. See, I'm going to annoy you because I I quite enjoyed that film. Is is Megatron good in the film? I think that would piss him off if they, if they left him out. <laughs> I don't actually remember. I saw it once when my parents were watching it. I didn't like sit down and watch it. But no, so I've got off with a nuts quite a bit about my uncle. Sorry. So uh, what were we saying before that on the actual topic? We're talking about the army. Hoorah! <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're talking guns. Guns in the army. That's what we do today. But uh, I really like Lennox. Actually, I think he's a, a good, fun character. And uh, the fight with Scorpion in the desert is great as well. That's another different sort of action scene when he's coming out from the sand behind them. That's, uh, that's very well done. Well, it's like late 40s war movie vibe. 
Well, the, the only human characters that sort of fail for me is the, the hacker subplot, which is so... I see... I always completely forget that there... I watched this film literally last night, and until you said it, I'd forgot the hacker subplot it, it didn't even make your synopsis. Uh, that's... Yeah. That's definitely something where they're like... I'd actually, I'd... I'd meant to write in my synopsis a line at the end like, oh yeah, and some hackers are there. That's definitely... Because they're just, they're so inconsequential. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a, we're not sure we could pull off robots. We need some extended sequences completely separate from robots. We could cut to just in case they're awful stuff. Well, yeah, they have, they, they throw that in there. They have a load of Secretary of Defense stuff. And all of this is cut in the sequels because they realize that you can just concentrate on like, a couple of humans and their robot friends. You don't need so much extraneous stuff. Oh man, I'm just thinking, talking about things you forget every time after watching this. I just, um, and there's another train, okay. Anyway, things you forget. Uh, Gary Cole gets one scene as the uh, as the bad cop. Uh, Gary Cole was uh, the dad in Talladega Nights. He, he was in the Brady Bunch movie. He's in everything, he's so great. Office space. Gary Cole, love it. Uh, I, maybe oh I, yeah, well the beard, I don't really recognize him. <laughs> I, I just wrote... Gary, Did I say it, yeah? Yeah, Gary Cole's the man, doing some pain pills, making things happen. <laughs> well, all, all these films have these random little comedy bit parts, but they actually all work for the most part. John Turturro? Oh, he's great. Well, I was, I was building for that because... He's like the one bit of the cast we haven't mentioned yet who is legit really Before good. Before you get to him, man, I'll just say the, one, the bit, the tiny one that always gets me uh, with this one, there are others in the sequels, but the small one that always gets me with this one is uh, Andrew the Geek from Buffy just sat next to the Australian woman having two lines. <laughs> Tom Legg, you <laughs> were clearly thinking you were going to be someone at some point. I was the big bad in one season of Buffy and now I'm in a Transformers film saying two lines, bang, this is going to be the start of something good for me. And then he was never seen again. <laughs> How many Transformers films did uh, Tyrese Gibson actually end up in? Because he's in, like, several. Three. He's in all three of the original, and then like, Child of trilogy. Okay, okay, gotcha. Because I just, I remember... He's not in... He's not in four or five, but Lennox does come back in five. Okay, it's just funny how... Oh, sorry, I was say, uh, Lennox comes back in five because they realised how awful the human characters were in four. So, like, shit, we've got to bring some of the old ones back. I mean, I know Mark Wahlberg is a terrible human being, but I find him very entertaining to watch. Do you know? Yeah. You said you're going to check up on that. Did you Did you check up on that? When we did plan Oh, I, I still haven't found... Well, I still haven't... I, no, I forgot. <laughs> uh, oh, one one nice. This this isn't a callback. This is like a reverse back. Um, several times in this movie, I just uh, I I know I told Luke before I wasn't super into the last night, but the one thing I I really loved was um, the the tiny singing robot, and I felt like he was just off in the wings in several scenes of this movie, especially the Megatron Frozen scenes. You, you hear a lot of that. Oh, yeah. so yeah. In my mind now, I'm like... Don't worry, Matt, you are a Mung Cogman fan. So oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the problem with the sequels is, but because they add all this reverse mythology onto things further further back in time, it turns out, due to this film, there were hundreds of Autobots on Earth just hanging about, not getting involved. So I've called Hot Rod and his magic time gun and Cogman, have them sort some shit out. 
Jazz might have Jesus lived. fucking Christ. Beep, 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 beep. Breaking news. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg is a real piece of shit. Uh, yeah, yes, he is, yeah. yeah. In, uh, I'm just on the, the Wikipedia subheading, hate crimes. <laughs> That's not in a good June start. 1986, Wahlberg and three friends chased after three black children whilst yelling, kill the N-word, kill the N-word, and throwing rocks at them. Okay, well, there's our confirmation, so, got it. And then there's, there's, just, there's, just, there's just a list every year of him just attacking and beating up and bullying other Yeah, I, I would say it was a bad idea in uh, Age of Extinction to have quite a lengthy scene of him chasing a black woman about to a baseball bat. Uh, that, that wasn't a sensible move on somebody's part who ever thought, yeah, let's do that. Let's have a wacky little callback to his eccentric pass. Wake in a dream, ringing the gong, it messes me grow younger while get old. A true believer would told just what's inside my head. Just what's inside my head. Float in the sea forever Distill what you find there Everything is really real If you remember it's just hell Chips of obsidian Eyes of fire Eyes forever Refusing to buy what's sold All the glitters is not gold Anyway, you know, one really good thing about the movie we're talking about today, Mark Wahlberg's not in it, so we don't have to dwell on it too much. <laughs> what's yeah, what's no, the worst thing I just thought it was, Sheila Booth ever did? It was, I mean, he's just a yeah. bit wacky. I he, love Shia He may have had sex on screen in a movie for real. That's positively charming compared to Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I, I'd high-five him for that. <laughs> I don't think you want to get into movies. <laughs> I've already gotten to my performance art thing. Stuart, you were there while I went. (laughs) I went. I went. You were there when I went a bit further than sensible trying to win a signed Shia LaBeouf photo in an auction. Go on. (laughs) This was at at the Transformers convention. They do charity auctions, and one of the items was a Shia LaBeouf photo. And, like, no one was that into it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll take that. And then some other dweeb across the room, like, going to a bidding war with me. And eventually it climbed up to like 80 quid. And I'm like, I don't want it that much. So I let it go. But yeah, I like. I would totally have what, bought What it. I like about Sheila Booth when he's sitting is in that film where he had possibly, I don't even know if it was confirmed, whether it was just a, uh, a publicity set where he may have had actual on-screen sex. And that was supposed to be a talking point. He stole the talking points by turning up to a premiere with a bag on his head and made it about that instead. And that's, that's some skill to... <laughs> To divert attention away from the having sex on screen thing with a paper bag. All respect to him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the only thing that people genuinely disliked LaBeouf for was when, like, uh, Indiana Jones 4 tried to pivot to being about LaBeouf. But even he said that was shit. Yeah, you're going to blame that one for him. He was not up for it. Yep. Uh, But, at least he's he's probably too old to be in Indiana Jones 5. Because that, that's not going to be happening for another 10 <laughs> years anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, he wouldn't be the kid anymore. They could just call it old Indiana Jones since they already had young Indiana Jones. Yeah, I saw something online suggesting the other day that, uh, and I could see this actually happening because it'll be in the 70s 
by the time Indiana Jones 5 does happen, at least the early 70s, and it'll end with him meeting young Steven Spielberg and young George Lucas of a bind right to his life. That sounds like exactly the sort of lame shit they would do. I, I put here that, um, just with our LaBeouf, that uh, Witwick, uh, watching it last night really came through that Witwicky is uh, basically a, a teenage Woody Allen. Oh, dear God, no. Oh. <laughs> what? I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not, sorry, I'm not talking reputation, I'm talking an on-screen vibe. The, the, it's, this isn't a film where the guy has to get me, I'm not a pedophile card out, that was the fourth one. No, no. Yeah, I'm talking '70s Woody Allen, like on the screen, like he come. I just felt like that he was that was a reference point or something. Because in 2007, you still get away with that. There's that. There's that. Like that nervous comedy energy is definitely the thing he brings to these films. Yeah. And if you watch a lot of the like the extended stuff and the deleted stuff on the DVDs, like LaBeouf is ad libbing through all of these scenes, and he's a really funny guy. Like Shia LaBeouf comes from doing stand up at the age of 12. And also, he just about looks like maybe he could be in school. More so than some films. But he still looks a bit... More so than some of the other teenagers. Uh, what? Well, yeah, like, that. the Trent guy that Michaela's with at the start. He's like, there's no way that guy is in high school. You can't lift that many weights by the time you leave well, high school. The great thing about him is, that character, still in high school is in the Friday the 13th remake. I think you've mentioned that, yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> gets to, get to say the, uh, the most brilliantly bad line due to sex scene ever. Uh, um, God. Oh, I can't. Um, uh, it's, you have stupendous tits. <laughs> it might be amazing rather than stupendous, but it's... Uh, I, I can I can I can one up no, that just I, a I bit. hope it's stupendous. I can one up that bit. It's a good line, don't get me wrong. Um the, the, the best one ever is um Night of the Demons. Nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety. Anyways, the jock's line in that movie, his insult is Eat a bowl of fuck. <laughs> that's that's always Alright, well if we're on uh if we're on awkward lines in the bedroom um, so the girl I was going to take to see Transformers 1, we eventually ended up dating, and between us we were giggling at the fact that Shia LaBeouf's name means thank God for the beef. And uh, I lost my virginity to this girl. And afterwards there was a bit of an awkward silence, and she just says, Shia LaBeouf. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I, you were hoping she meant thank God for the beef rather than that was who she was thinking about. <laughs> yeah, she had her eyes closed and was thinking of... I mean, if, if you've got to think about Shia LaBeouf, I get it. He's a handsome man. <laughs> Just not in profile. <laughs> so, you know, I get that. I look great from the front and terrible from the side. Oh, getting on that, Sam, I will go to Sam instead of the actor's name. He doesn't get turned on when he finds out that Megan Fox is a, is a criminal. I don't remember her character's name, but I'm like Sam doesn't find Michaela. Michaela Bain. Which is everyone just pointed out. Uh, Michaela Barnes is a few letters moved about version of Michael Bay. So if you want, if you want to know who his actual avatar of the film is, that's slightly creepy. Okay, is that, is that why he's Hitler? I don't know. <laughs> He got even worse than Hitler. Well, I mean, was name a character in a film after himself. 
<laughs> there was a um, there was a bit in one of the commentaries where he, the scene where Michaela has to kill Frenzy with the drill, where Michael Bay was just talking about he wanted her to be really angry, so he just kept making her kept making her do the scene over and over and over and attempt to piss her off. So I can see why she didn't like working. Yeah, I mean, I mean probably Bay is he's a technical director, so he's getting the technique. He's what is important. He's not the only director like that. I mean, Stanley Kubrick used to direct like that. I was a bit of an arsehole as well about it. Well, uh, he's more focused on that side of thing than the actors' performances. And this is where the sexism comes in because with the men, he's most of them are played by personality type actors who know they roll up, they do their thing. They don't really need much direction. You know, you've just put Sheila Booth on the sex. Who's going to do a Sheila Booth thing and you feel this? And you don't have to worry about it. Uh, Megan Fox, uh, from interviews of that, wanted to be directed. He's, he's cast her because uh, she's good looking. Uh, she's there to be hot. It's a modelling job rather than an acting job in his viewpoints. So it's just, okay, okay, could I get some direction in this bit? He's, he's not being much help. The best you can do is, rather than say, you've got to be really angry, is just making him a scene over and over again until that's what he gets. And that's, though, luckily he got somebody who actually pulls off the acting side of this one, but that's why you get some incredibly variable performances from the women of the sequels. Not necessarily because they're bad actresses. I mean, uh, Rosie Hudson-Whiteling did Fury Road, and he's uh, pretty good in that. It's because she... But she was literally hired from a yeah, Victoria's Secret she had catalog, any right? that point, and she's getting no help on acting from her director when she needed it. In a way, you've got... Uh, oh, uh... John Malkovich doesn't need to be directed. So... I'm, well, I mean, even with some of the, um, the male cast, you do notice, like, John Voight in this, who is, like, a pretty well-respected actor... He's very flat in this film. He's pretty forgettable. I think he's done a lot of cocaine. I think that's how they paid him for this one. Any actor of that age has done a lot of cocaine. I'm not even sure he knows he's in a Transformers film, to be honest. I think he just wandered onto the set. He thought he'd been hired as secretary. He thought this was Midnight Cowboy 2. But talking about Michael Bay as a very technical director... Um, that's why the effects in the, these films do look so good. Uh, Michael Bay's past was in car commercials, and he's talked about how like he, they would show him the effects, and he'd talk about how like oh no, that's not really how the lighting works when you're filming a car, and like he complained, he like did get very involved in the effects side of it. It wasn't like some of these Marvel directors where it's like right, we'll shoot the actors, and then they can just do whatever they want to do in post, and that's why you end up with some like. Like those we talked about earlier, the Avengers aliens, they're so generic because I don't think anyone outside of ILM gave a shit. Whereas Michael Bay was very involved in these designs and everything. Like he, he directed these films like from top to bottom and everything except the robots is in front of a camera. Like most of that carnage is actually happening. It's uh, I think the editing of this one is very key as well. Uh, I, I haven't bothered to look at my names, unfortunately, because I'm too lazy. But this film had two editors. The fifth film had five editors. 
And this is by far the best. The people this one, and I don't think they worked on the sequels, unfortunately. They certainly didn't work on the fifth one because I did check the names. Uh, these editors get how to edit Michael Bay uh, to its best effects. Um, I think I think that's true all through the first three. I don't. I think it really starts to un- come unstuck in four and five. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's because you just you end you end up with films that don't even have plots like those two. It's, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, because again, people complain about the frantic editing, and maybe because it's 13 years old now, I don't think you felt that frantic rewatching it. Uh, no. I, Compared to like these Liam Neeson films where it takes 10 cuts for him to jump over a fence and stuff like that. Like, these, this film is shot a little frantically, but it's just in a way that feels like you're on the ground watching, like, military footage. Yeah, that's, that's an intentional technique to say before. Like, I, it works well. I could follow all of it, which is, again, something people say you can't do, and I've never understood my complaints, especially about this one. Uh, so, yeah, the editing deserves a big shout-out, because it really uh, helps and meshes well with May's direction. Where was I? Oh, yeah, I guess the one... The... The story is clunky. The one thing that I guess they... This was the most expensive film ever when it came out, but something... I don't know. There's a bit of clunk in the story. I guess it's because it goes from sitcom to war movie to, you know, like, the modern blockbuster and just has a little bit of whiplash. The editing is fine, but the script itself has a little whiplash. Well, that's why we have, like, that hacker section. They just, they weren't quite sure what they could get away with with this one. I, I'm surprised this was the most expensive film ever made at the time. I, I hadn't realised that. And, uh, and they had to reuse a vehicle from uh, from Triple X. I think Superman Returns was more expensive than Was this. it? Okay, I, I seem to remember that being a yeah. selling Superman point. Superman Returns was ridiculous. Uh, but I think Superman Returns, it was one of those Star Trek motion picture things where the budget was... All the unmade films that they spent. Lots of well, yeah, that made. might be uh, part of it. Uh, went against it. I would be surprised if you're right about that, Matt, because I feel like this film they weren't. They was a bit unsure about it when it first came out. Yeah, but you did have that I'm gonna, Spielberg. For the, for the first time ever on this podcast, I'm going to bother to oh, check. Well, <laughs> very excited. Uh, I know uh, Devis. No, who's the tank one? It's uh, Devastator. Uh, or Brawl, if you get by the toy. Uh, that tank is <laughs> from Triple X. They just, they just grab one out of uh, the Paramount parking lot. <laughs> Which, uh, while uh, Luke's checking that, I would tell my, one of my current obsessions, because at the moment I am re-watching the Friday the 13th films as well. And uh, the sixth Friday the 13th film, which is also a Paramount film, has a Camaro uh, that's exactly the same type as Bumblebee in this film. Uh, they're both Paramount films. This, 2000, uh, this film uses vehicles from other Paramount films anyway, and you'd have to get an old Camaro from somewhere. So I'm like, oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm more obsessed about whether that is in Friday the 13th Part 6 is the same Camaro as plays Bumblebee in the 2007 Transformers film, just painted yellow. So if there are any car fans out there who know, know the history of that car, I'd be very interested to know that. Yeah, I was one of the guys that really wanted Bumblebee to be a, a, a VW bug, but that's because I drove a VW bug when this came out. So, 
So, Matt, yeah, it's not even in, like, the top 50. Well, now it's... And that's unadjusted for inflation. Uh, okay. No, no, there's loads from before. Okay, okay. Maybe, yeah. A couple of, a couple of the sequels get in That there. might be what I'm thinking of. I know one of them. Maybe, maybe it was Dark of the Moon that I'm thinking of, but, uh, yeah. Uh, well, no, Dark of the Moon was the most, uh, the one that made the most money. Oh, okay. And even, even the fourth one, which people think of as not doing well, was the highest grossing film the year it came out. Like, these, these films are popular. People like them. Yeah, that's, no. uh, there are people online who try and make a figure of, oh, nobody really likes them. People somehow get tricked to go into them, but everybody sort of actually hates them. Uh, but some of the arguments that I've seen, but nobody actually likes them at all, is what people say. But the first... Right, but people went and saw five yeah, of I mean, them. They, people, more people went to see Revenge of the Fallen than saw this one. More people went to see Dark of the Moon than saw Revenge of the Fallen. Slight tip off for Rage of Extinction, but still a billion dollars worth of people went to see the fourth one. And it's only then you start to get uh, a drop-off. And the next two still made money, except if the eyes are paramount because of their technical uh, logistics... Uh, I think the thing with uh, the fifth one is it costs too much money. So it didn't make enough for them. Yeah, that... Which is why uh, Bumblebee costs so much less to make. And they sort of odd about Bumblebee, but they say it was like a steady hit. But maybe very slow, we do the seventh one, maybe sort of very indecisive. So I, I don't think it did the money they wanted it to. Uh, even though, again, it was, they were both still successful films. So it's, uh, people kept going back in bigger numbers, and nobody well, I mean, went to see Dark of the Moon because they hated Revenge of the Fallen, apart from die-hard Transformers fans. So they, they like them, yeah, they enjoy them as ridiculous big-screen popcorn nonsense in an era where cinema tickets are very expensive, so if you're going to go to the cinema, it's generally got to have some big oomph to it. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate these films, but it was definitely like Pavlovian response that drove me into the theater for the first four of them. It's like, oh, Transformers. That is made for me. I will go see it. You were going to get one about John Turuto. Why have you said his surname, weren't you? Oh, yeah, I did. I haven't. Yeah. Um, so, actually, he's the character who appears in the most Transformers films. Human character, anyway. Because he has a little brief cameo in Bumblebee, and he's in the fifth one. But, yeah, um, Agent Simmons. Just hilarious performance. Yeah. And so, like, what makes... We were talking about how this film is kind of anti-government. They have, like, their shady men in black organization. But it's not S.H.I.E.L.D. They're never cool. And, like, Agent Simmons is such a dick. You just, you're so happy every time he gets put in his place. 
But then by the time he's coming back in the sequels, you just love him. Just John Turturro is so entertaining to watch. He's like Homer Simpson, where uh, they uh, it's like, oh, he gets dumber each season, right? So, you know, Agent Simmons gets yep. dumber each movie. More uh, funnier, too, but... <laughs> yeah, he's absolutely great. It's like, there's not a lot I can say about him, because he's just so good in this role. He comes into a film at pretty much exactly the wrong point as well, to give you that little extra uh, bit of freshness and... Uh, because this film's not especially shorter than the other ones. I think maybe it's just 10 minutes in it. Uh, but it feels a lot shorter, I think, because the pacing is keeping things moving and introducing new ideas and new characters at exactly the right points to stop it feeling languid at any point, even though it is a very long film. And, uh, yeah, he comes along and uh, with his new exposition about uh, Megatron. So he's basically a, a functionary plot character to come in, introduce him in a Jeopardy, Jeopardy, and explain things. Uh, but he does it brilliantly because it's funny. Uh, you still get the information you need from his performance. Uh, and you get a couple of good, good sequences out of him as well. Uh, so yeah, a great character, a fun character. Also, I just want to, while we're bringing up things we forgot to mention, um, before he comes in, but around the middle of the film, we have the scene where the Autobots first, like, properly arrive. Uh, which is just one of my favourite pieces of any film ever. Like, I love the music in these films. It's not, like, super original, but it's just really well done. But, like, you have, like, exciting action music, you have patriotic military music, and then you just have that amazing theme tune for the Autobots. And like, and like the scene where they're all landing and that music's playing. I've watched that on YouTube like a billion times. That I bought all the soundtracks for all the Transformers films on CD. And I listen to that song in particular a lot. And it's only ruined by that stupid comedy character running around going, Oh my god, this is even better than Armageddon. <laughs> is that on the CD? No, thank god. There you go. And there, there, there are YouTube cuts where they've repl- um, taken out the sound and just have the music, and I like to watch those versions. We, but there is that, I mean, there's that, the biggest controversy of this film, you know, is about the music too. Right. It's no Transformers theme. Oh, that doesn't bother me. It's Stan Bush was going to oh, make the touch. There's no the touch. There's no touch, yes. man. I don't care about so, the Transformers theme. I the touch. For, for each of these, for each of these films, some band tried to push their version of the Transformers film, and maybe it made it onto the trans- the soundtrack CD, but it never made it into the film. And also, Stan Bush would always try and push his new version of the touch, and that wouldn't even make it onto the CD. Never mind the film. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if it's on YouTube anymore, but uh, because he realised it was terrible. But there was a version of a touch he did off his own back to try and sell for the second film that has Linkin oh, Park I... mel- melodies through it because he's trying to be cool. And uh, oh yeah, he looks—it's still there. I showed it to Matt when we did the 1986 film. And it, <laughs> it's he looks like a child molester <laughs> hanging around a park. There's a. <laughs> Funny German guy on guitar looks like Clive Anderson. And there's the Yuri Geller rapper, and it's and God bless Sam Bush. I I I love the eighty six 
film. It's widely to my soul that I enjoy the soundtrack, but it would have been insane to put his music in films <laughs> at Linkin Park. I have a song for. There's got to be a YouTube cut where they uh, have the Megatron and uh, Optimus brawling at the end of this film with a, a redubbed with like the original touch. That would be fantastic. Must be on YouTube somewhere. No, but I want to see it redubbed with the crap new the touch. <laughs> where he's where he, he he he's forgotten that you can regulate your tone when you're singing. So it's just you got the touch, you got the power. <laughs> <laughs> The least realistic thing in Bumblebee is a bit where they pick up a touch on a radio station. I actually thought that was well done. But it, it was a complete He used it drop. to encourage her. There were no nice radio scene. stations playing that song in 1987. But he, he also had the stuff... The, presumably he also had the stuff from the tapes saved on his... Nobody bought it. It was a complete disaster. That's why Stan <laughs> Bush has spent the last 30 years desperately clinging on to the coattails. Of a flop uh, cartoon, nineteen eighty six. But he has a song, man. <laughs> I got this one song that eight nerds really, really love. It's pretty crap in the first place. <laughs> so wonderfully crap, but <laughs> Wait, everyone knows Dare is better. No, you you actually your edgy Sam Bush up in here. That's all yeah. Actually the best beetle was Ringo. <laughs> he was the heart, man, he was the soul of the group. <laughs> uh, well, I actually Park. really like the uh, the Linkin Park songs they use on these films in fact I like the three Transformers Linkin Park songs so much they trick me into thinking I like Linkin Park and then I listen to their other songs I'm like eh no I just like those ones no I, I came upon Linkin Park when I was um, student teaching getting my teaching degree and all the kids were into this this band, Linkin Park. I was like, ah, you're all listening to the crap music. I don't know. I, so that was my first time being like the old man. It was fun. Well, um, our colleague, Andrew, every time we go to karaoke, we end up playing a lot of Linkin Park. But Andrew has this weird habit where he likes to do the backing vocals, but he never likes to sing the song on his own. So he'll line up all these Linkin Park songs, but I end up having to sing them. <laughs> but like, he, he'll put on one and I'm like, oh, it's okay. And then it's like, oh, okay. I know what Linkin Park to put on, and I'll just put on the three Transformers ones and go to town. So, uh, well, you mentioned earlier uh, when you said uh, correctly uh, there are covers of the original Transformers theme tune on the soundtrack albums, but what's fun about them is that each one of them, and I think there's two, on, one on the second field, one on the third, by different bands, is they actually cover the version from the 86 film but has additional verses mm. that are about the plot of the 86 film. <laughs> like, oh, Dark of a Moon, you've got a version yeah, um, again. Yeah, Unicron's going to come and eat Cybertron, or whatever that edition. There's a, there, so I remember there was a version around the time of this film where they tried to do that, but they just replaced the word Unicron with Megatron. <laughs> that's, that's ours. That's... Yeah. And um, Linkin Park actually did do a version of the Transformers theme around the time of this film, but it didn't end up on the CD. And there's a bit where they just like list all the Autobots' names in like a robot voice. <laughs> and Unicorn comes eventually, you know, he is inevitable. Yeah, he's at war with that nice Gemma Chan, which I don't think <laughs> anyone was expecting. <laughs> well, especially as I hadn't watched Prime, the Unicorn twist really got me. <laughs> Do we have any other big pointers on, on these first Transformers? 
No, I think, so I could understand why for, like, average Joes, this is the one that was successful. But to me, they just get better. And it's because I don't really care about the people. I just want to see the robots. And in the later films, you get a bit more characterization for robots. You get way more action with the robots. And this one, kind of the climax, the Transformers were kind of secondary. Like, Optimus Prime isn't really the one who beats Megatron. Like, Blackout is killed by humans. Bumblebee gets to kill a robot, but only with Michaela's help. Whereas by the sequel, it's just, here's Optimus Prime, he's got big swords, he's going to chop up some bad guys. And that's what I'm after, to be honest. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I think it stands up extremely well. It's fun. It's the only one where Optimus Prime gets to be funny. He's very serious in the others. Here he gets jokes and little wacky moments, and I quite like that. He does get one line in the fourth film. <laughs> Eventually, four films later. He's just very depressed by <laughs> the final couple of films. He's like, oh. I mean, he's had, like, thousands of years of terrible war, so, you know. Oh. <laughs> you did some gallows humour in that well, case. What, that is something I think... That's something I think the fourth and fifth film actually did really smartly, was because Bumblebee was so tied to Sam, they made Optimus Prime the human contact character instead. I think that was a smart move. Boy in his car. Yeah. Like, for me, I, this film, it's always... It's always been, like, I guess for me, slightly above average, but it has so much uh, weight just basically being, like, the, you know, the template for the the big budget things that, well, at least we were getting up until, you know, a year or two ago. I think the template's probably changing again, so, to God knows what. Well, yeah, who who knows what movies are going to look like when they come back? Oh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think that's why the fourth, fifth one did it. Uh, representative style of a decline because this style of film was A, B, done by everybody else at that point uh, and B, I think it's sort of we're at the point where we need another film like this or The Matrix or, or yeah, Star some, Wars something needs to reinvent it yeah, it needs to, be, uh, to jazz things up a bit but uh, what this film was indeed from Transformers cannot be understated because at the point this came out it was it, it it sort of has peaks and troughs, Transformers, uh, where it sort of uh, it builds up to a peak of popularity, and then it declines a bit. And that's happened a few times prior to this film, and as this came out, it was on the downward slope again. They had a, a few years before they had a sort of a, a mini spike with uh, the start of the Unicron trilogy of toys, but that was really in the doldrums by this point, and the comics weren't really doing as well and it was it was basically headed towards gi joe level obscurity uh so it, it definitely needs something to sort of kick it up the ass again and this kicked it up the ass not just at the level that beast wars and manage or uh or armada and manage it kicked it past what the peak of popularity had had at its height in the 80s it's a a legitimate uh, massive film franchise now and regardless of it yeah at this point it doesn't feel like a like a passing fad or just like a toy friend it feels like one of the big sci-fi movie franchises and that had so much drop down on the rest of it there were more toys more cartoons uh you had like two cartoons on air at the same time up until fairly recently uh much more comics, more successful comics as well. Comics that were getting genuinely good reviews for pretty much the first time ever in the history of Transformers. 
outside my fandom and uh, all because of a massive swell of interest and uh, and success that these films generated. So uh, overall, they have been this incredible positive. I, I do think their moment is now pacific and it's time for something new, which Bumblebee didn't quite do. I don't know if anything Bumblebee went more to the past. Yeah, it's a. I don't know. They need somebody who will do what Michael Bay did and completely reinvent it in their own image. Uh, Which, you know, that that makes it sound like it's easy to do, which it isn't. (laughs) But uh, uh, of an era, though, I enjoy this era a lot. And uh, I think I'll continue to do so for many, many years to come. Well, yeah, I watched the first one last night, and I'm already kind of jonesing to power on through and watch the rest next week. <laughs> that means you're going to, you know that. <laughs> oh, I know, but i got to watch Independence Day first. There we go. But which, yeah, uh, which you'll notice compared to this has a certain amount of clunk. Not, you know, in a, not in a bad way, but they're both just, a, like, maybe both Independence Day or the first Transformers, their status is simply bumped up by being the, the, I mean, the cultural touchstone of their particular eras. It is an interesting little uh, about Independence Day. Uh, that film had no assistance from the military. Uh, you know why they wouldn't give them any assistance? Because they all blew up. Area, area 51. Yep, they uh, they like you've got to take the mention of Area 51 out, or you won't get any support. And so there, there are no. She's ironic because that film is so pro-military. Yep. It's there are no. I think there's two shots of a real plane in that film, but otherwise it's, it's all effects. And when originally they were like, "Oh, we're going to do it like Top Gun and go and shoot all the planes for real," and they they couldn't because of Area 51. <laughs> I couldn't cut that out. See, so, you know, this Transformers was smart. They just made up their own Area 51 instead. And they got big bucks from the military. It's a big cube inside Hoover. It's very different. Don't worry, lads. <laughs> well, I, I guess we'll tie a bow on this one today. So, uh, Stuart, can you can you give us your your um, where to find you on the internet? Where can we find you on the there internet? There we go. What Matt's trying to say. It's early here. I don't know. My brain doesn't work yet. Uh, the, the main place to find me is uh, on Twitter, where I, I tweet a lot. Too much, some would say, but I say not enough. Uh, I'm trying to, to improve that by boring people even more. Uh, but I'm at Inflatable Dalek. Uh, my sort of big project, which is coming to an end now, is for the last eight years, I have been going through every issue of a British Transformers comic. Uh, originally, sort of in real time, they were published, uh, which was weekly. But dissecting them, reviewing them, putting them in their context, talking about the adverts of the letters pages and the G.I. Joe reprints in some of them and uh, things like that. Uh, a lot of which is now collected in two different books, Transformation Volume 1 and Transformation Volume 2. And if you Google Transformation Solar Pool, uh, the website will come up. I'm currently just about coming to the end of it uh, with the British Age of Extinction comic, uh, which is amazingly already six years old. <laughs> and uh, I just have three issues left to go with that. I mean, that is it, the British Transformers comics, because everything after that is just American reprints. Uh, Are there any plans for a third? Um, uh, yep, uh, I've uh, a little. Uh, unfortunately, I had scans of all 
the British Marvel issues done for me by the person who sold me the comics. But for the, uh, the Michael Bay issues, I've been having to scan them myself. And I'm not very good at it. That takes me up like a whole extra day of a week. So I haven't had a chance to work on the books. But once I finish the website, I will get back to working on the third book. And now there's going to be a fourth book as well with all the, uh, the, the Michael Bay issues. Post-Marvel. Uh, yeah, all the post-Marvel stuff, because there's like a hundred issues of that. Uh, so yes, that's real. Uh, then I'm having... Yeah, because once you started doing the books, I gave up on the <laughs> books. Like oh yeah, to be honest, it turns out nobody cares about Age of Extinction comics. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> but, uh... To be honest, you mentioning them just now is the only reason I know they exist. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's a bit of lonely, lonely quest these last few months but I'm going to do it to the end because I'm a tough bastard and uh, speaking of lonely place I read I read one of your books in prison <laughs> <laughs> hey man I read one of your books in prison alright uh, yeah that's that's why I write them for, for the prison people <laughs> I, I, maybe I should clarify that I was in prison for charity <laughs> not legit in prison but all that though, so they should be saying it for standing up to the man. Oh, it? The, uh, the closest I ever got to being arrested was because I was playing football at 3 a.m. Against the man, you just have to add that part. But uh, so, uh, if you if yeah. you are in prison and you want to uh, contact us, where do they do that? Uh, well, you can find us on Twitter at MLSFSPod. We're also on Facebook, just search for Matt and Luke Side by Sanctuary. Please just come in, say hi, let us know you're listening. I mean, I presume somebody out there is listening, but I don't actually know that for a fact. Um, and I guess you can leave, like, a rating and review on iTunes. People normally ask for that on podcasts. I don't know why. Yeah, we don't know how analytics work. It's fun. Um, <laughs> Luke, I'll, I'll... Yeah, I honestly don't know how many people listen to this. I have zero idea. It's fun that way. <laughs> well, I, I hope it's more than just me, because uh, I, I only came on here to promote the Age of Extinction comics. Somebody would read rather than <laughs> No, man, you're, you're, you're talking directly into the void right now. <laughs> Enter the void. How do you do that sometime? Uh, anyway, sir, yes, thank you very much for joining us on this Transformers rant. I, I'm, I'm the guy with the least qualifications, so it was great to have a guy with some real qualifications to give us that deep-down trivia. Yeah, cheers for coming on. So I'm just about to cough quite badly. <laughs> I'll, I'll hold off a minute. Out of sound art. Uh, uh, yes, it's very good to have been on here. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, take care. It's almost like midnight there, right? So... It is indeed. Yes, it is uh, the darkest time. <laughs> hey, Luke, how's that sign-off line coming? Well, Stuart, you can now, and the listeners at home can also transform and roll out! Independence Day.